Well, spring forward has certainly had an effect on me. It uh, l last night I, I thought that maybe maybe we go to bed a little bit earlier. It's not going to have the big effect. Well, we didn't go to bed a little bit earlier. We didn't manage to to add in for that little bit of uh of time difference. And sure enough, this morning I have really felt it. But I am so lifted up. I'm so encouraged by being here with you. And and even though our our numbers are small this morning, we have several who have been sick uh, in the in the previously we in the previous week, and and we want to continue to to remember them and hope that that they are they are getting better. And we have some that we know uh, we're going to be traveling this weekend, and we assume that's probably where they are still this morning, traveling now. But but it is just such a wonderful wonderful opportunity still for those of us to gather together and to worship God this glorious morning raise up our voices to Jehovah that's just that's just so enlightening or encouraging to me we've already spent time this morning remembering the death of his son but as we did through the Lord's Supper we have worshiped him in song we have worshiped him in in spirit at least at least I hope we have I hope we have not been giving God lip service this morning I hope we have allowed our words, our thoughts, I hope we have allowed our, our, our hearts to flow into our worship uh, as we have done so this morning. And we've come to a point in our service where we're going to turn to, to God's Word and we're going to look at what He has to say. And, and I want to tell you this morning that these are not my words, these are not my opinions. Because I know that even though you all love me, you're not interested in hearing those. We want to know what God has to say and what God desires for us and so that's what we're going to do turn to his powerful message and i would encourage you to be taking out a bible we have several scriptures we're going to look at this morning some of which i'm going to try to put on the uh on the on the overhead and i want to talk about events for a little bit this morning we all have big events that happen in our life now, i'm not talking about events like maybe going to the oscars I'm not talking about, you know, since that just happened not too long ago, they had the Oscars, and people accepted awards, and, and that's usually a really big event, at least in this country. Everyone wants to, to tune in and, and check it out, and uh, I'm really not all about that. But, but still, that seems to be a big event, but I'm not talking about big events like that. I'm not even talking about really big events like negotiating peace. You know, that's something we would love to see happen in our world. Countries come together and negotiate peace in some sort of, of a summit meeting. And I'm not talking about an event like that. You see, those are events that are going to be remembered all throughout history. Those are really uh, momentous uh, events. But the events that happen in our lifetimes, the events that happen to us, they oftentimes won't even bring a, a shred of recollection to most people. But they are still great nonetheless. Some of the events that you might say that ask, what, are, what events might you be talking about? One event that I'm talking about is our birth. That is a huge event in our life. Oftentimes screaming, we are introduced into the world, uh, a living being created by God for a special purpose. That's a really big event. In fact, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my life wouldn't be the same if it had not been for my birth. So, so obviously there, there's an event like that. Maybe we fast forward a little bit, and in, in years we're facing another big event in life. We're looking at graduation. This is one of those events that, that I almost missed myself, and and I would love to tell you that story, but this is probably not the platform for that candid a story, so we will, we will tell you that some other time. But for most of us, that event is rather big. 
whether it be high school, whether it be college, whether it be the principal that you're going up to or the dean, but as you step up on the stage and you accept that diploma and you get this feeling like, I made it, I did it. You know, maybe you didn't think you were going to. I know I, I, I never really expected to graduate high school. I, I just knew I wasn't going to do it. That was not my, my greatest years as I look back. But still, you know, that's a big event in our lives that we, that we all usually kind of hold on to and remember. Another big event in my life happened shortly after graduation. It wasn't very long after graduation that I married my high school sweetheart, or really, as I should probably say, my junior-senior year sweetheart. Uh, me and Holly were married not too long after high school, and that's certainly a huge event in our lives. In fact, on Friday, we celebrated the 10-year anniversary. So this is one of those events that you really better remember. One of those events that you definitely don't want to forget. That can have, that can have an effect on your marriage if you forget this event. So cer- certainly we, we have uh, in, uh, events like that in our lives. And, and then finally I would think of our death. That's a big event. That's an event that, that we all probably consider from time to time. At least I hope we do. It's a very large event. Our passing from this life into the next. And even the worldly people who, who maybe have no care or no interest in eternity, this event it can bring a lot of great concern for them. They might look at this event in their life, they might look at death and say, what have I done with my life? Did I make my mark on the world? Is anybody going to remember me? Did I do everything I wanted to? You know, did I cross off all my, my items, my checklist on my bucket list? But even for Christians, sometimes this event's one of those events that's a little bit scary. It concerns us because the fact is, as we make that step, the Bible just doesn't go into great, great detail about what happens next. It is a little bit of a, of a feeling of going into the unknown where we just take that step on faith. So we have all these great events, these huge events that happen in our life. But I want to suggest to you that none of them are as great. None of them are as important as when we became Christians. We made that choice to, to, to die that death, to, to kill off the old man, and to rise up to a new life. That's a really big event in our life but unfortunately many people become Christians and they don't appreciate what that means until much later in life if they even appreciate it at all our service to God would be much more productive and it would be way more enjoyable if we could just grasp onto the true significance of being Christian, of being children of God what that means so this morning I'm, I'm thankful that that um, brother, brother Richard led that song for us. He, he did a great job. And, and this idea that I want to talk to encourage you about is our walk with God. Are we walking with Him at all? That would that, be the question that we ask ourselves. Are we even walking with God in our life right now? Maybe we're kind of tagging away in the back. We're, we're, we're tagging behind, kind of dragging our feet as He goes along. We're not really that close to Him. Or it could be that we've ran way out in front of Him. You know, when, uh, when Holly was preparing for this race that she ran, and I shuffled, as, as I said this morning, I didn't really run the race, but when she was preparing for it, she took Ryder with it, with her uh, a couple times on the run, and he would run way, way up in front of her. And he would walk for a while until she caught back up. And then he'd run way, way back up in front of her again. And so sometimes that's, that's how we do in our walk with God. We don't walk with Him, but we try to get up ahead of Him. And that's still not exactly how we should be walking. Or maybe... Maybe instead of running ahead of him, we're running away from him. That's exactly what Jonah did. He gave Jonah, to do, Jonah a job to do, and psh, 
Jonah was gone. He cut for the sea. He said, I'm getting out of here. Somebody else can do that work. Or maybe we're like Adam and Eve. We're hiding from him. As he came strolling through the garden, they found a place to duck down and hide. So what I want to encourage us, what I want to encourage us to do is to try to get our, our walk closer to the Lord and become more fruitful in our service as a disciple and then we have been in the past. And I hope to encourage us to do this over the course of several studies. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to consider the idea of the blessings and responsibilities of being a Christian. With most every blessing that we have in this life comes responsibilities. You know, maybe you think of that phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. I know I, I do because I grew up in the comic age uh, uh, just realm. And, and so uh, Spider-Man was a big fan of mine. I loved that. That, uh, that, that Uncle Ben told Spider-Man that, and then I just kind of like applied that to my life. Like it was something I should really remember, because that was a great saying. So, so with great power comes great responsibility. Likewise, with great blessings comes great responsibility. Like our children, for example. We claim our children are great blessings from the Lord. Every one of us that, is, that has ever had a child or even ever worked with children in any sort of way realizes that that's just really really great they're they're really great gifts from god but we have to recognize they come with all sorts of responsibilities you got to take care of them you got to feed them you got to teach them and and nourish them and you got to cherish them and you can't feed them after midnight no no wait that was the gremlins that was the gremlins movie right we couldn't feed gremlins after midnight but you know sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between our children and gremlins no uh, it, it, we just we obviously see that there are responsibilities that come with blessings. There's no doubt about that. But certainly, with the abundant blessing that comes with Christianity, we would have to also see that there are abundant responsibilities or there are expectations that we must meet. And so let's begin this morning by looking at some of the blessings and responsibilities that we have as Christians. And some of my fonts didn't come through, so I apologize if this is hard to read. I don't understand what happened there. But The first blessing that I want us to, to notice is that our God is our Heavenly Father. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. God is our Heavenly Father. James 1 and verse 7 says He's the source of every good and perfect gift. And then over in Matthew 7, if you want to turn there, Matthew 7 and verse 11, we read this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is, heaven, who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? You know, if, if we, being sinners, if every one of us is going to be honest, we will, if the question was asked, would all the sinners raise their hands? I believe we would all raise our hands. We are sinners. But even as sinners, we enjoy seeing our children smile. We enjoy giving them gifts that make them happy. We enjoy giving them things that they just absolutely need. We feel pretty terrible about ourselves if we just let them starve to a point where they were very sick. No, we enjoy giving them what they need and even in t sometimes what they want. Don't you think he who is, who is perfect is going to be even greater at this than we are? But not only does he give, uh, that, do we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from him, we also need to recognize that in times of affliction, 
He provides comfort for us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and in verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about how, how blessed we are that the, God of, uh, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. We see that? That He comforts us in all of our afflictions. Not some of them, all of them. He says He does this so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with that same comfort that we get, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you think God doesn't care about X, Y, Z, whatever it is, whatever is going on in your life? Do you ever stop and wonder, does God care? We even sing a song about that. And that next line in the chorus, of course He cares. Yes, He absolutely cares whenever we are, when we are hurt or we are broken. And again, I think of, of a father who comforts a young child when, when they are hurt. Or maybe, maybe they're going through their first heartbreak right there to help pick them up and, and, and to encourage them that it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's going to get better. And you just, you just got to be strong and you got to carry through. Or one that really applies to me when they've lost a stuffed animal. When they've lost a stuffed animal and their world is just falling apart and we, I won't be able to sleep without this stuffed animal. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We'll even look for it and try to bring it to you. We just see that we love to, to comfort our children. We love to comfort a child. And God does the same thing as our Heavenly Father. He looks at us as His children, and He loves to comfort us. We also see that He also is willing to chastise us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5-11 through 11, talks about this. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, a lot of times we like to just think of, of all the... The, the warm and fuzzy things that God does. And we'll just look at all those, those things that we might kind of lump over in a positive thing. And then maybe there's other things that we would lump in a negative and we'd say, well, God just obviously couldn't do those negative things. Well, the reason we think that way is because we even have that negative column in the first place. This one right here is another one that should be lumped right there in with the positive. Hebrews chapter 12, and, and let's read just uh, let's read verses 5 and 6. It says, and you have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son, every son whom He receives. Then go ahead and skip down to verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, growing up, I, like I'm sure most of you, remember lots and lots of whoopings. I mean, I got whoopings all the time. And it was always worse when Daddy gave me the whoopings. And when Mom would give me the whoopings, it was never quite as bad unless she had that instrument of pain in her hand, the wooden spoon, which I'm pretty sure I never saw her use in the kitchen. It was always in the bedroom. But, but you know, there was a time that I remember very vividly when mom chastised me, and, and it was a time when we were outside playing, me and my brother, and I shot him in the back of the head with a slingshot. And not only did I shoot him in the back of the head with a slingshot, but I did it while he was riding a bike. And so I'm not going to lie, for a moment I was really impressed with the shot. I thought I'd kind of, like, you know, I didn't really think I could hit him. But shortly thereafter, we're all in the bathroom, me, mom, Derek... 
He's crying. Blood's in the back of his head. And she's trying to wash it off. And he starts saying, he starts saying, Mama, don't spank him. It was an accident. Don't spank him. And in that moment, she turned and she looked at me. And oh, the words that were in that look. I, I, without saying a word, she had a whole conversation with me that I have never forgotten to this day. She told me, she said, he is your brother. How could you do this to him? You're supposed to be an example to him. You're supposed to be building him up. And you, oh, here you are over here literally tearing him down. He is your family. You need to watch out for him. And then she tacked on there at the end, if you ever so much as aim a slingshot at my son again, I'm going to whip you up one side and down the other. She was furious at me. But then all she did was give me that look. And I knew. I knew how mad she was, how disappointed she was. And I was sorry, uh, just filled with sorrow for that event. We do well to remember that God disciplines us as well. You ever notice maybe things in your life just, they aren't going entirely well? Maybe it seems like you just keep running into the same problem over and over again, or this is just this huge, unsurmountable problem. It's like, I just can't get past this mountain that's been placed in my way. Could it be that God is really just trying to get your attention? Ask yourselves, how much time, how much time have I made for God lately? Have I been following Him? Have I been walking with Him? Or have I been preoccupied with my own life? Been preoccupied with my job, with my friends, with my family? God loves to use opportunities to turn us back, even if it means chastisement, to turn us back to Him. He literally lives this example. He is the example of Proverbs 13, 24. It says, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. God's discipline is diligent. It is a sign of His love for us. But then also He promises in the next chapter over, Hebrews 13 and verse, verse 5 and 6, He says, I'll never leave you. In verse 5 He says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Why do you think God had Gideon cut his men down to 300? Why do you think that God had the Israelites pass through the Red Sea instead of turning around and fighting the Egyptians? Why do you think God here tells us that we should keep our character free from the love of money? It's because God will never forsake us. He wanted Gideon to know that the victory they got that day was because of him, because he was with them. He wanted the Israelites to know that their safety and their freedom was provided from the Egyptians because they were following him. And he wants us to know that there is nothing in this life, nothing in this life that is going to get us through our problems and that will never leave us except for him. The, phrase, the old phrase goes, you can't buy happiness. That's absolutely true. But what God was saying is, I will give you happiness. I will give you peace. But, and I will never leave you. And once we understand that, we would have a, He would also have us realize that He's not going anywhere anytime soon. We can run from Him. We can run as far from Him as we, as we can possibly get, but He's always going to be right there 
He's always going to be walking at a pace that we can walk. He's never going to outrun us. He's just wait, waiting for us to make our mind up to walk with Him, to come back and, and join Him in this stroll through life. But all this means, we look at all these different blessings that we have, all these blessings mean that we have responsibilities to Him as well. We have responsibilities that we must be, be meeting. And the first one that I want to look at is found in James chapter 4. So again, just over a, a, few, a few pages in your Bible, James chapter 4 and verse 7. In this verse it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first responsibility that we have to God that we want to look at this morning is we must submit to Him. Here's that same word we looked at a few weeks back regarding wives towards husband, that word hupotasso in the Greek. If we were to submit to, to God, that means we must be giving Him our all. We must be giving Him everything in obedience to Him. I like to look at it maybe this way, and it, it's probably because I'm, I'm a fan of food, but I like to look at it in the, in the context of maybe the county fair. And so you've entered a, a pie into the county fair contest. Who's going to have the best pie in the county? And so they would say, do you have a submission? Do you have a submission for this contest? You say, absolutely. And so you go out to your car and you bring your pie back and you hand them a pie and all it is is the graham cracker crust inside of that foil. It's just that crust of a pie. And they would look at it. There's, there's no filling, there's no topping, there's, there's just the crust. And they say, that's not a submission. You can't submit that. That's just the crust. You've got to have a whole pie. That makes so much sense to us. In the same way, if we bring the crust, the shell of a Christian to God, are we submitting to Him? Or are we giving Him the filling? Are we giving Him everything? That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a whole Christian and not just the crust of a Christian. But then we go on in verse 8. After he says that we are to submit to Him, then he says, draw near to Him. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <clears throat> Another example of this that we see is in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, we read, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. There is little that I love more in my day than when the opportunity arises that I have to wrestle with my children especially when we are all wrestling together, when we, we are on the bed and all three of them are wrestling with me, and it's kind of like this big handicap match, three versus one. And there is always that one moment when they are all laughing, and usually they are all climbing on top of me, but there's that moment when I just stop and I allow that to sink in for a second. I allow that moment to register. Now, if you would ask Holly, that moment is usually followed shortly by any combination of one, two, or all three boys crying because daddy took it too far. But the same thing, that moment just brings so much joy to me when we are all together and we are all having fun wrestling. I think of how I enjoy those moments with my children. And I think of how God looks at us as his children and he wants us to draw near. He wants us to be close to him. He wants to enjoy moments like that as well. How much more does he enjoy it? when we are closely drawn to Him. 
when He has become our source of comfort, when He has become our source of protection, even when He has become our source of entertainment. Have you ever looked at God and thought that, I wonder how much fun God is going to be? I wonder how much fun heaven is going to be? Because I have. I have certainly looked at that and considered that. God created us with the ability to enjoy our life, enjoy ourselves. And from early childhood, we see kids running around, smiles on their faces, oftentimes playing in a, in a different world, a different completely time zone, just maybe in a whole different era than we, than we actually live in. They're just these wild imaginations. And the thing is, God created that part of the brain that does that. God created that, and He did it in His own image. My point in all this say is that we need to draw close to God in absolutely every aspect of our life. And then He tells us how to do it in that latter part of James verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He says we are to cleanse our hands, we are to purify our hearts. It's the same idea that is carried forth in Colossians 3 and verse 17. Do all in the name of the... Uh, in, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. In our, in our actions and in our heart, we need to rid ourselves of impurities. We need to strive to make ourselves like Him. And we begin this by obtaining forgiveness of our sins. But we continue to do this by strengthening our resolve to serve Him. We continually repent of sin. We continually confess it to God. We continually confess it to our brothers. And we tether our hearts to Him in prayer. There are, these are some, not all, but these are some of the blessings and responsibilities we have from and to God. But let's not stop there. Let's continue by looking next at Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our High Priest. And as our Lord, we, we need to stop and we need to realize something really important here. That as our Lord, He is also the same Lord who rules over the kings of the earth. Revelations 1, verse 5 and 6 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God, and father to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We know that maybe in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, All authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. We read that this morning, or we talked about this morning in our Bible class. And this means that every last one of us, from, from greatest to least, from world rulers to world servants, are all in subjection to Christ. He's our Lord. He's our King. That's pretty powerful imagery. That's a pretty powerful position He has. That's a position of great majesty and a position uh, that deserves our awe and our respect. But then we turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 11 and 12. In this passage, we read this together. It says, For both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. So He's talking about Jesus and us. We're all from one Father. For which reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Let that sink in for a moment. Saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus Christ is our Lord. And he is also our brother. 
you might stop and think, but wait a minute. Jim or Scott or Alan or any of the men or the men or the women, the, the sisters that we have, these are our brethren. These people here, we're brethren. I can understand that. I see the relationship we have with one another. He is my Lord. He is my King. But He acts like, He treats me like, He calls me His brother. If that doesn't affect you, if that doesn't pull and, and, and just really move your heart, we need to spend some more time looking at who He is. We need to get together and we need to study because once we understand who He is, we're going to realize that we don't deserve to be called His brethren. But that's just how Jesus looks at us. That's just the relationship that He sees with each and every one of us as a brother. Then we move on and we see that He also sees Himself as our high priest who intercedes on, her, on our behalf. If you think back to Job chapter 9, in verse 32, he said, For he is not a man, talking of God, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Job here was having the natural reaction when any mortal man faces off with the Almighty God. I can't go to God with my problems. I can't go to God with my concerns and with my worries and with my complaints because I'm not worthy to go before the great and powerful Jehovah and tell Him what is, what is wrong with my life. I just have no right whatsoever to even think that I can do that. And that's exactly what Job is saying here. And he goes on to say in verse 33, If only there was someone who could go between us, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. That, thankfully today, is Jesus. And again, we stop and think. Jesus, the one who can lay His hand on both. The one who can come to man and can hear His words, hear His complaints, hear His needs, hear, hear what He has to take to God, and then can go before God and take it to Him and talk to Him about it. Again, He calls us brother. Romans 8 and verse 34 goes on to say, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Or Hebrews chapter 2. We're maybe still in the book of Hebrews. If you are, turn over to chapter 2 and now look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore He had, he had, excuse me, therefore he had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he, was he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What we read here is that he understands our feelings. Not only does he have the ability to take our, 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 our problems, our concerns, our issues to God, but he understands us. He understands every pain. He understands every temptation. He understands every scenario. And that not only is He our brother, but that He is also like us. He has lived this life. If we were to turn over to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, it would go on to tell us that He does this every day. He never ceases in interceding on our behalf. He always lives to make intercession for you and for me. He never says, I am tired, Kyle, 
of hearing all your problems. I'm so tired of hearing all the things that you have to bring up. He never says, I'm going to take a day off. You can get through this one day on your own. No, He is always there, ready to make intercession for you and me. So again, we've looked at these blessings that we have. He is our Lord. He is our brother. He is our intercessor. So what sort of responsibilities do we have to Jesus? Well, similarly, likewise to God, if He is our Lord, then we must obey Him. We must do what He says. We must be careful to observe what He has taught. And if we love Him, John 15 goes on to tell us that we better be keeping His commandments. In John 15, in verse 10, and then over and also in verse 14, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And then in verse 14, He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. So if we love Him, if we love Jesus, we're going to treat Him as our Lord, we're going to have to obey Him. We're going to have to keep His commands. But also, if He is our high priest, if He is going to make intercession for us, we have to utilize that. Hebrews 4 and 14 told us He was the high priest, but if you, if you flip back over there, this time we'll look down a little bit farther. From Hebrews 4, 14, we'll skip down to Hebrews 4, 16. And again, where he says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It tells us that, as a high, that we have a high priest, but we need to be using, we need to boldly be willing to go before the throne of glory. It's kind of like this idea of someone giving you maybe a gift of a house. So here's a beautiful house, and it will protect you. It will give you everything that you need, there's even things that you want inside that house. All you have to do is open the door and go in. And you stand out on the street corner just admiring how wonderful blessing this is and a big rainstorm comes and you just stand there and let it pour all over you. Instead of utilizing what was being given to you and going in and seeking refuge, that's the same thing we need to do with Jesus. We have a wonderful gift that's been given to us, this intercession that He makes on our behalf as, as our great high priest, we need to utilize it. Don't just let the storms of this life and the rain clouds of this life pour on you, but rather take refuge in Jesus and in this blessing that He gives. That is absolutely our responsibility. So obviously, once again, just the same as with, with uh, God, with Jesus we have the responsibility to obey Him and to be praying to Him. But what about the Holy Spirit? Oftentimes the Holy Spirit is, is, is really overlooked in this day and age. We kind of treat Him like He's the, 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 the cheerleader maybe on the sideline. He, he had His part, but now He's over here just kind of spectating what's going on. Well, in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, we read, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This tells us that the Holy Spirit resides within us. He dwells within us. And then we see in other passages that He gives us strength. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, if you want to flip over there. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 20. It says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in the inner man... Now skip down to 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask for, 
ask or think according to the power that works within us. We just read about what that power that works within us is. It's the Holy Spirit. Back in 16, the power through His Spirit in the inner man. He strengthens us to put to death the fleshly deeds of the body, to live the life that we are intended to live, to be the Christian that we are intended to be. And even over in Romans 8, we read of a really interesting thing that He does for us, something that maybe you haven't ever really given a whole lot of consideration to. But in Romans chapter 8, we look at verse 26. It says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So again, the Spirit is also interceding for us. And He is helping us to pray. That is not to say that we have no knowledge of how to pray. I mean, we we have prayed several times in our lives. We have prayed several times this morning already. We know how to pray. But as one commentator put it, he said our weakness and our ignorance in this life is so great that in many respects and possibly as a rule, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We want many things, and it may be that we pray for them, and if they were granted, would prove our greatest rots. It's kind of like our children. They really think they know what they need. They really need a bowl full of sugar or all the best video games or just whatever it is that's really going to keep their attention. And we're saying, if we were to give you that, your teeth would rot out, you would get really big, you would be lazy, and it would not, you, would, you would not grow into a very strong human being. So we look at them and we understand it in that aspect. What we're reading here in, in, in Romans is that the Holy Spirit works in the same way. There's a lot of things that we really think we need, we really think we want. And if we were to pray and we were to ask and we were to petition God on everything that we thought we needed, some of those things might be just the opposite. They might be detrimental if to our life, physically, or even spiritually. The, the commentator here goes on to say that there are those things that if they were granted would be our greatest fortunes but we never asked for them and never even knew that they are things that we needed. The Holy Spirit helps us in this way, and it is incredibly comforting for me to know that even when I am at a total loss for words, I have help to tell God exactly what I need, even at those times when I don't even know what that need is. Not even for sure exactly what that need is, I still have that help to go to God in prayer and receive help from Him. So if if these are some of the blessings the Holy Spirit blesses us with, again, we must understand that we have responsibilities to the Holy Spirit. The first one I would look at is back over in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, 17. We read verse 16 already. Now in verse 17 it says, If any man destroys the temple of God. Verse 16 tells us that that the Holy Spirit dwells within us as the temple of God. Verse 17, If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, And that is what you are. So this goes on to show us that we must keep ourselves and we must keep the church holy. Uh, If we read on in 1 Corinthians, we go down to to chapter 6. Let's actually turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 and 20. We're going to see that we also glorify God with our bodies. This is similar to what we just read there in chapter chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
verses 18 through 20. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. So to keep ourselves and the church pure, to keep ourselves church holy, we are to be glorifying God in our bodies by abstaining from immorality. This was a very immoral city of Corinth that, that Paul wrote this letter to. And so he was telling them that, that the immorality that is in your lives, you need to flee from it. You need to run away from it as fast and as far as you can, and you need to make yourself pure. You need to set yourself apart. We do this. We do this by fleeing the lusts of the flesh or by walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit that we read about. And, and we want that fruit of our Spirit to be seen and evident in our lives. Things like love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And sometimes we, we look at those and we say, okay, I can work on, I can work on love, and I work on joy and peace. That long-suffering one, that patience, that's something I've always really struggled with, but I'll just kind of make up for it by or magnifying all these other areas. That's not the way that, that God is desiring for us to do it. He's saying, make this a description of you. All of this. Not just a few of these. All of these. And yes, I'm saying that that means it's our responsibility to follow the Spirit. And sometimes we kind of have a weird feeling saying things like that because the world oftentimes uses that in a different way. But we need to be following the Spirit, focusing on building all of these traits that we just talked about in our own lives. One way we do this is by setting our, things on, or setting our minds on things of the Spirit. Romans 8, 5 tells us that. Not to set your mind on things of the flesh, but on things of the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, if we flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see real quick a little bit about things of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, we might recognize this, talking about the armor of God. When we get down to verse 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, then through studying God's Word, we can walk with the Spirit. We can follow the Spirit in building these aspects in our lives by knowing how it is that we are to build them and we can glorify God in our bodies. So these are some of the responsibilities that we have to the Holy Spirit. So this morning we have looked at we have looked at the blessings and responsibilities we have to God. We have looked at the blessings and responsibilities we have to Jesus. We've even looked at the blessings and responsibilities we have to the Holy Spirit. But we don't want to stop there. We want to go one step farther. We want to look at the blessings and the responsibilities we have to the church. To the church as our family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1-2 through 2 says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. And to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. What this passage is telling us is the church... Membership, uh, membership in the church creates a special relationship. A special relationship, or at least it should. The members of the church, um, they follow closely with God's will. That's another key part. If we are not following closely with God's will, it's going to be evident because we're not going to have these relationships. 
with one another. But a church that is following closely with what God would have them be and is walking close with God, they will become like a family. They will be like father and mother to one another and even brother and sister. Even to the point that oftentimes it can replace physical relationships, maybe even those possibly lost when we become Christians. Those who maybe lose a father or a mother or lose a wife or a husband can have that replaced tenfold within the church if we are doing the sort of things that God would have us to be doing. And see, we talk about that. We talk about it a lot of times, say that this is our family. Or we even sing about it. We sing the song, God's Family. We understand that. But the question is, do we live like that? Do we truly live as a family? To be a family, we must realize we have responsibilities towards one another. If we remember over in in the Hebrew letter, in chapter 10 and verse 24, it tells us that we are to consider one another. Consider one another how we can stimulate one another, how we can push each other to love and to good deeds, how we can make one another stronger. That means my responsibility to the church, and that means your responsibility to me, that means our responsibility to one another is the exact same responsibility. None of us are free of that responsibility. We are to try and make one another better. This requires us, as verse 25 goes on to tell us, to assemble with one another. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, just in case you you haven't turned over there yet, it goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, or as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in in times past, this, this passage has been perverted to say that this is, this is proof that you have to be here for the Lord's Day. It's the assembly. It's the time that we gather together. But that's not what it says, is it? It doesn't say the assembly, but rather it leaves it very generic. Forsaking our own assembling. Forsaking the assembling. That carries with the idea that whenever the church has gathered together, every time the church has gathered together, we have a responsibility just like we have responsibilities to God, just like we have responsibilities to Jesus, just like we have responsibilities to the Holy Spirit, we have responsibilities to one another to come together and to encourage one another. A responsibility to do this for the betterment of the whole. Or Ephesians 4, verse 15 16 says it better, as a responsibility to come together excuse me, for, the, for the building up of the body. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ from the whole body, uh, from the whole body being fit, fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We can't say that we are meeting this responsibility. We simply can't say we're doing it if we won't here with one another because we can't know who has what problems we can't know how we can help we simply just can't help build up one another unless we are doing this and so we see that there are many many blessings and there are many responsibilities of being a Christian and this is just a few of them but I hope this morning it will suffice to show us that we are richly blessed as Christians 
We have an abundance of worth and, and, and of just great things to be thankful for as Christians. We also have many important responsibilities that we can't shirk. We can't put off. In fact, Hebrews chapter 3 goes on to t- show us the danger of putting off these responsibilities. It tells us how important it is that we, refu- that we fulfill these responsibilities. Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end, while it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. That is the deceit of sin. It is the lie of Satan that when you fall away, you, that, that, that you, if you're not meeting these responsibilities, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. God is saying, no, these responsibilities, not meeting them can lead to a hardened heart. It can lead to deeper sin in our life. It can lead to bigger and, and, and worse decisions as we go throughout. It can, and, and it can motivate us to rebel against God instead of drawing close to Him. So this morning, if, if you realize that, that you have not been meeting any of these responsibilities that you have as a Christian, and you say, hey, that's, that's not the life I want to live. That's not what I want to be. I, I don't want to, to lack in my responsibilities, but God has given me so much, and I am eager to serve Him in every way that He has asked me to serve. Then my encouragement this morning is to do it. There is no shame in admitting that I've, I've been wrong in the past. In fact, that is, that is a great blessing because it takes a great lift of burden off of your shoulders and allows God to say, you're right, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to make you right. And I'm here to strengthen you. And that Holy Spirit that works within you, He's going to do that. He is going to give you that strength. And by the prayers that you offer up to my Son, I'm going to hear how I can help you. The Holy Spirit is going to help word those so that I know exactly what you need and I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be here and I'm going to give it to you. We need to meet these responsibilities. We need to have a closer walk with our Lord. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning we haven't taken an opportunity, we haven't taken advantage of these blessings at all by, by coming to Christ in obedience by simply forsaking all else and following Him. You know, we might have even been baptized into, salva- into His body, but even not forsook the world and focused solely on Him. If that would be the case for you, I would encourage you to put away this world, put away all the many things that distract, all the many things that take our focus off of God, and put your focus right back where it belongs, on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the blessings that Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit and even that the church gives to one another. Let's put our focus in His Word and in what He has to say for us. Let's get, get, get back to living a life that is productive in His sight. If there's some way we can help you this morning, if you long to, to have these problems put behind you or if you long to give your life over to Christ, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing.